Today from the Global Lane, new climate restrictions place Dutch farmers at risk and lead to an insurrection in Sri Lanka. The Global Green New Deal pushing politics over science. It's really an anti-God, anti-capitalist, anti-human movement. Interest rates raised a whopping three quarters of a percent. Will the Fed's action cool inflation and ward off recession? The primary culprit for inflation right now is too much money chasing too few goods. Unfortunately, the Federal Reserve is in the role of closing the barn door after the horse has already escaped. Faith under fire on campus. A student is denied a position at the University of Houston for quoting the Bible and calls to fire a head football coach over his pro-life views. This is an attack on freedom of religion and it's an attack on freedom of speech. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Beyond Ukraine, the war in that country has led to food shortages in many places around the world. But new government-imposed climate regulations may create an even greater global food crisis. Dale Hurd explains how new environmental laws are causing hardship for farmers and consumers. The most efficient system in history of growing food and getting it to consumers, modern farming is under attack, blamed for causing climate change. The world has watched as Dutch farmers fight for their economic survival against demands that they shrink their operations to suit the government's climate change agenda. Sri Lanka's ban of chemical fertilizers in farming caused the struggling nation's agricultural sector and then its economy to collapse. It ended with protesters frolicking in the presidential swimming pool after the nation's leader fled the country. Sri Lanka was supposed to be the poster child of modern organic farming. The World Economic Forum even proudly posted this article about Sri Lanka's future success, written by the prime minister whose house was set on fire by protesters. Parts of the world already face famine because of a shortage of chemical fertilizer due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the same kind of fertilizer environmentalists want to reduce. Washington attorney Gary Bass, who helped start the Environmental Protection Agency in 1970 and now says it should be abolished because it's Orwellian, owns 11 farms in Illinois. He calls what the Dutch government is trying to do to its farming sector madness and sees signs a similar movement is coming to the U.S. It's, uh, agriculture is an easy target, uh, both from the animal standpoint and from uh, guys like me who uh, put a lot of anhydrous ammonia on their corn uh, crop. Base believes the era of cheap food at the grocery store is over, not just from inflation, but because of growing environmental regulations on farming, and says Sri Lanka should be a warning to leaders who want to experiment with food production. That's what happens when you don't have food. Nevertheless, the Biden administration appears to be coming after farmers. Steve Malloy, editor of the website JunkScience.com, writes that a new study by the EPA claims that farm dust kills 17,000 Americans per year, the same EPA standards that basically killed the coal industry. These are people who want to control every aspect of our lives, and that includes you know, energy production and use and food use. You know, they believe food production is a major contributor to you know, global warming. They're not going to give up agriculture. They don't like agriculture. Any government willing to risk its food supply in order to fight climate change might want to keep Sri Lanka in mind. Dale Hurd, CBN News.
New York Times bestselling author Jerome Corsi has written the new book, The Truth About Energy, Global Warming and Climate Change, Exposing Lies in an Age of Disinformation. Dr. Corsi, good to have you with us. Climate change activists are encouraged by these new climate laws, but their voices are growing even louder now as a result of excessive summer heat in Europe, the United States, also drought and wildfires. Now, you wrote this book to expose lies. So what's the biggest lie, in your opinion? I think the biggest lie has to do with carbon dioxide, which is the demonization. The left is saying because of the carbon dioxide that is emitted by hydrocarbon fuels burned by human beings, the oil, natural gas, coal, we're going to destroy the planet with global warming and climate change. If we go back in Earth's history, Earth has been here for 4.6 billion years. About 500 million years ago, the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere started reducing. 175 million years ago was 7,500 parts per million of the atmosphere. Today, carbon dioxide is only 400 parts per million of the atmosphere. Now, global warmest say that this is double in the Industrial Revolution. That's right. It, when the Industrial Revolution started, it was only, carbon dioxide was only 200 parts per million of the atmosphere, but it's still a trace element. About Carbon dioxide is about 0.0003 or 4% of the atmosphere. It is not a climate heat driver. I can point to and do in the book many instances of ice ages where the Earth had extraordinarily larger amounts of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We had an ice age and there were no human beings here at all. Well, you call this climate agenda a neo-Marxist, an anti-capitalist global warming hoax. Explain why you believe money and politics are driving this. Well, even going back into the history, it started with a, after World War II with this Paul Ehrlich and this too many people population bomb. You know, we're going to expand, expend all the resources of the earth. We're going to run out of resources. We need to have fewer people. And then John Holdren, the, who became the Obama science are joined, and they decided with Holdren and Ehrlich, they would blame the economy, the, not just the economy, but the economy with hydrocarbon fuels causing, they thought in the 70s, global cooling. We were going to have a new ice age when the earth started warming at the end of the 70s, it switched to global warming. But essentially, since we burn hydrocarbon fuels that emit carbon dioxide, the climate deniers, climate warmest, picked carbon dioxide as the demon and said, we've got to stop burning carbon dioxide or we will all die. And that is a direct way to attack capitalism. So the neo-Marxists, the um, AOCs of the world have taken over the argument. The Green New Deal is a direct attempt to destroy capitalism, reduce the economic power of the United States uh, and the Western world, reduce us to a standard of living that instead of reducing, we should be sharing with the world. And my book explains how, but it is really an anti-God, anti-capitalist, anti-human movement so what lies ahead? More farmer protests, more Sri Lanka-like insurrections? I believe we're going to see the uh, hard left, neo-Marxist left with the Biden administration, doing everything they can to implement this agenda now. Uh, and I believe they're going to go so far as lockdowns. You know, COVID was going to kill us all, so we needed lockdowns. And now 
global warming is going to kill us all. So we need, it's about totalitarian control. Okay, the book is The Truth About Energy, Global Warming and Climate Change, Exposing Lies in an Age of Disinformation. Jerome Corsi, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you and God bless. The Federal Reserve raises interest rates again in hopes of cooling skyrocketing inflation, which soared to an annual rate of 9.1% in June. But is the Fed's action too little too late? How likely is the United States to experience a recession by the end of this year? Well, joining us is Rawls College of Business Associate Professor of Economics at Texas Tech University, Alexander Salter. Alexander, it's, it's good to talk with you. So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she believes the Fed will be successful in cooling inflation, which saw the highest jump in over 40 years last month. And she believes all of this is only transitory. So should we blame it on the pandemic, Putin? What do you think? There are a number of factors at play here. Uh, unfortunately, the Federal Reserve is in the role of closing the barn door after the horse has already escaped. Yes, the war in Ukraine matters. Yes, pandemic supply chain issues matter. But the primary culprit for inflation right now is too much money chasing too few goods, which means the primary culprit is the central bank with fiscally profligate politicians assisting them. Okay, let, let's look specifically what role then have minimum wage increases and excessive congressional spending and the printing of money had on inflation and the economy? Printing money, number one, absolutely no question. From 2020 until now, the money supply increased almost 40%. That's obviously going to put some upward pressure on prices. Congressional spending does matter a little bit. Usually what happens there is the government borrows money to try and stimulate the economy, and then the central bank will buy up all those bonds. And so that's how newly printed money works its way into the economy. Minimum wage increases, I'm not sure that that much is driving inflation. That might be causing some employment issues in specific markets, but I'm ultimately not worried about the minimum wage hike causing inflation. Cause number one has got to be easy money. Well, put on your prediction ahead here. Is a recession coming? How long might it last? How severe do you expect it to be? That's the question on everyone's mind. And the reason that we're all so confused, we economists, is that output growth is slowing down. In fact, it's even turned negative. But the unemployment rate isn't spiking up. Usually you have employment markets cooling off first, and that's going to be your predictor of a recession. But the unemployment rate is still below 4% in the United States. This would be a highly unusual recession if we had falling GDP while we didn't have widespread job layoffs. So I think that we have uh, a lot of economists scratching their heads right now. And, and we still have about uh, 11 million jobs, do we not, that are open and available that are unfilled? Lots of openings, including manufacturing jobs. So it sure looks like a hot labor market, which is why it's a little bit odd that a hot labor market is coinciding with a cool, excuse me, a hot output market that's coinciding with a cool labor market. And you recently co-authored an opinion that appeared in the Wall Street Journal where you talked about the moral problem of inflation and you suggested that we examine the Bible for some guidance. You described inflationary policymakers as modern-day King David's. Explain. That's right. We tend to look at inflation as primarily an economic problem, and that's an okay way of looking at it. But we can't ever forget that there are moral aspects associated with inflation. The Old Testament joins again and again that there needs to be a fixed and stable value for money in order to promote both right worship and social justice. 
In the New Testament, St. James's universal letter holds that it is improper to hold back workers' wages. Inflation eats away at workers' wages. It might not be aristocrats or landed magnates who are doing the deprivation of workers' wages this time, it's central bankers and politicians, but it's an injustice nonetheless. Alexander, so how might applying biblical principles then actually help people when they're paying more for just about everything these days and inflation is making their paycheck shrink? What should they do? I think we need to focus on the moral imperative of sound money. We have to stop treating money like it's a tool for technocrats to tinker with so they can play at fixing the economy or doing whatever they want with it. Instead, money should be one of the basic rules of the social game. It should be like a ruler, a fixed unit that you always know what the value is going to be so people can more easily plan and carry out their economic expectations. That's how you get strong economic growth. That's how you get social justice. How about people of faith, uh, Judeo-Christian ethics here? How does, how does that play out in our responsibility to help those who are really suffering right now because of the high inflationary rate? We do have a responsibility to help the least among us. Christian teaching makes that abundantly clear. And if you look at real wages, which means wages after adjusting for inflation, they've been falling for almost a year. We're robbing the purchasing power of those who can least afford to be have economic hardship placed on them. That's why the very first thing that we have to do is stop depreciating the currency. And do you think things will get a little better as we approach the midterm election? I sure hope so. I don't want this to continue just for the sake of making political hay out of it one way or another. Uh, unfortunately, all signs that I'm seeing suggest that we're going to see significantly above 2% inflation, which is the Fed's target for the foreseeable future. Okay, Professor Alexander Salter of Texas Tech's Rawls College. Thanks, Alexander, for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Christian candidates for the student government Supreme Court at the University of Houston have learned they'd best keep their faith-inspired views to themselves. Student court candidate Maya Little quoted a Bible verse in her opening speech at a meeting there, was accused of religious bias, and then she was denied the position. Farther north, University of Michigan head football coach Jim Harbaugh expressed his pro-life views during a recent Right to Life event. Now students and some of his critics want Coach Harbaugh fired. Well, here to discuss more about the bias against people of faith on American college campuses is campus reform reporter Alexa Shura. Alexa, it's good to see you again. So unfortunately, this is not good news for the First Amendment and First Amendment rights of the University of Houston. So tell us more about student Maya Little and what happened to her. Well, you're absolutely right. This is terrible news for the First Amendment and particularly for freedom of religion. We have Maya Little, who is a student at the University of Houston, who was vying for a spot on her student Supreme Court, and leftist students barred her that opportunity simply because she quoted the Bible in her opening speech. But what these leftist students actually fail to realize is that this nation is founded on Judeo-Christian values, and it's Judeo-Christian values that make up our government and make up our laws. It is the foundation of our judicial system. In America, one of our national mottos is, in God we trust. And in the Capitol, Moses is depicted as a lawgiver. So it's very hypocritical for these students who are interested in pursuing law and pursuing government to, at the same time, remove little from that opportunity simply because of her religious beliefs. And is she a pre-law student? And do you know what she said? What did she quote from the Bible? Do we know? 
So Little quoted Isaiah 11, but regardless of the quote, it doesn't matter because that is her constitutionally protected speech. If Little wants to open her speech with the Bible and express her faith, then all the more to her. She has that constitutionally protected right. And for students who, again, are interested in pursuing law and pursuing government, to try to take that right away from her is abhorrent. But here at the Leadership Institute's campus reform, this isn't the first time that we have seen Christian students discriminated because of their religious beliefs. Just last November at Auburn University, a student was barred from serving as chief justice of his student Supreme Court because he was a devout Christian. And it took a campus reform report for the student to even go out back and serve as an associate justice. But it shouldn't take media pressure for liberal students to toss away their overt anti-Christian bias and appoint students to serve their campus who are interested and have a passion for law, justice, and order. What did the University of Houston administration say about this? Anything? Did they respond at all? Well, I can tell you what they should be doing about it, and they should be standing up and protecting Little's freedom of speech. They should be standing up and defending her First Amendment rights. College campuses and university administrators have a responsibility to protect the rights of their students. And by staying silent on this issue, the University of Houston is just tossing Little's rights out the door. So they should be hearing more about this case. They should be looking into and investigating what exactly happened and ensure that her speech is protected on campus. And it wasn't just there in Houston. University of Michigan head football coach Jim Harbaugh attended a pro-life event recently in Plymouth, Michigan. This was off campus. He urged women to have courage to let the unborn be born. And wow, did that ever create a firestorm on social media? And some students were so outraged they wanted Harbaugh fired. Your thoughts on that one? Unfortunately, that's where we are as a society nowadays, where if someone has the courage to stand up and defend the unborn, defend the right to life, they're canceled by today's modern society. And one thing we always say here at the Leadership Institute's campus reform is that what happens on a college campus eventually will become mainstream in society. So it's unsurprising that this is the behavior we are seeing from these students, and that's the reaction they're having to the football coach standing up and having pro-life beliefs. This is an attack on freedom of religion, and it's an attack on freedom of speech. And we have to be more adamant about teaching respect for the First Amendment so we recognize that we all have it. We all have the right to say what we have deeply feel, what we deeply believe. This should be something that is taught and pushed on a college campus so that when they do graduate and go out into society, we're able to return to having civil conversations about hard topics. And it seems like this anti-faith attitude is intensified since the Supreme Court's uh, Dobbs decision. Now only pro-abortionists are allowed on campus, seems like that. Our universities were once supposed to be great institutions where various opinions were welcomed, where issues were debated, critical thinking was encouraged. Why is this happening now, Alexa? Well, it's because no one has stood up and told these students no and challenged their wrong ideas. Just recently, I went down to Georgetown here in our nation's capital, and I was speaking to students about the Constitution and how exactly it applies to abortion. As we know, in Dobbs, the Supreme Court ruled that there is no constitutional right to an abortion. But the students that I talked to were adamant that the court had made the wrong decision. So what I really took away from those conversations is that these pro-abortion radicals aren't interested in what the Constitution actually says, they're interested in interpreting it so they can continue to push their radical notions. This is what we're up against. This is what these students believe. And it is all across the country on America's college campuses. We have to get back to a spot where we can have civil conversations that are based in truth, objectivity, and fact. 
Okay, something for parents to keep in mind as they prepare to send their students, their children off to college this fall. Alexa Schwera, campus reform reporter. Good talking with you again, Alexa. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Do you have a bucket list, a list of special things you'd like to do before you pass from this life on earth? For many young boys and adults, it's meeting their sports heroes. That was one of my dreams as a boy after I attended the 1968 World Series. The following year, I did meet my pitching hero, Detroit Tiger ace Denny McLean. No pitcher has won more games in a single season than McLean's 31. And if you were a Los Angeles Dodgers fan in the 1960s, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale were likely your pitching heroes. Today, three-time Cy Young Award winner Clayton Kershaw is considered the greatest Dodger pitcher of all time. So back to that bucket list. Just before this year's All-Star Game, 10-year-old Blake Grice of Denver, Colorado, who hosts his own YouTube sports channel, met the left-handed pitching ace. But that meeting wasn't on Blake's bucket list. The boy said he wanted to meet Kershaw on behalf of his grandfather, who dreamed of one day meeting his favorite pitcher. So this moment is important to me because I'm meeting you for him. Oh, wow. And okay. um, he was from Redondo Beach and I... Uh, a little while ago, a few years, some years ago, he uh, died from brain cancer. Okay. Sorry about that, buddy. And, oh my gosh, I'm gonna... Oh, come here, dude. It's great to meet you. <laughs> great to meet you. Thanks for telling me. That took a lot of courage to tell me that, so I appreciate that. It was great to meet you. Granddad sounded like an awesome guy. Yes, and so is Blake, a grandson deeply devoted to checking off that unsettled item from his grandfather's bucket list. Hats off to Kershaw for meeting Blake Grice. He demonstrated true concern for a young fan who only wanted to fulfill his grandfather's dream. We sure could use more moments like these during these distressing times, couldn't we? The love and determination of a grandson and the baseball star who took the time to listen, demonstrating compassion and concern for a young boy before the big game. Wow, folks, the news doesn't get much better than that. May God bless them both for giving us that touching and inspiring moment. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.